So welcome back to the Fairly Lame Podcast. My name is Dom, and this is episode nine, I want to say. Each week, we're covering feel-good conservation and environmental news stories from all around the world. If you hear any stories that I haven't covered, haven't heard about, please drop them down in the comments below. It is hard to keep track of, especially if you're overseas, um, and America, actually. Uh, overseas and America, but they're both overseas, because I, don't know, I was looking up all the news stories I find from America are just depressing. Like, people getting lost in national parks, people dying, bodies found, floods, fires, running out of water, can't flush toilets. There has to be some good going on in the great uh, great states, I guess, of America. So please let me know. And also comment down below your favorite news story from today so we can get a bit of a feel of what people want to hear. And before we get into... Today's topics, all these links will be down in the description below, so if you want to read up on it yourself, and also there'll be timestamps in the bio if you want to click through to a certain segment to learn about a particular story, but today we'll be talking about electric planes potentially coming to the world sooner uh, than we expected. They're already here, some areas are using them more than others, not quite on the commercial scale, but that could change in a few years' time. Then St. Kilda's mighty little penguins getting some new research and uh, monitoring to help decrease the stress on these little fellas. Then we have ropeless fishing to help prevent whale entanglements off the coast of America. Then the traditional owners up in Darwin told Santos and their $4.7 billion gas project to go get lost. They won a court case and that isn't going ahead. Then activists have hijacked uh, some post, uh, some billboards across Europe. I believe 500 different billboards spreading uh, or just highlighting the impact of flying and uh, the airline industry on global warming. I think it makes up about 3% of total emissions, which is quite substantial if you think about Australia. It has about 1.3 and we're the biggest polluters per capita in the developed world. Uh, and then finally, solar backpacks on the Plains Wanderers, which is a little uh, critically endangered bird, I think. We'll get into it later, but no one knows where they go. Super fussy with their habitat preferences. So it's kind of hard to protect something if you don't know where it is. But I do want to say, if today, if we are sounding a bit strange, not feeling 100%, um, and we're recording this after episode 8, because as you're listening to this, I will be driving back from the great the great state of the Australian Capital Territory down the mighty Hume Highway. Um, I honestly, I should be sponsored by Visit Canberra. Even if, or is that a thing? Visit Canberra? Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe it's just Canberra, Canberra Tourism. Family Lane Podcast brought to you by Canberra Tourism. Heaven on Earth up there. Anyway, today has been one of those days, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you know when just nothing's going to plan? So, actually, it started last night and it's flown. It's... Uh, uh, leaked over to this morning. So last night in the bathroom, uh, cracked iPhone, and I am a caseless operator, um, which is it's done okay. So as you can see, the wide angle lens is shattered. I honestly don't know when that happened, but it's been like that for a couple of weeks. But I've never used it, so it's all good. But this phone, I haven't had a case on it since the start, and I did my field work. Um, I'm doing a conservation project with camera traps, looking at wildlife on coastal dunes. I think there's some video... Yeah, there is. There's a couple breakdowns of that on my YouTube uh, and Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, link in bio, like and subscribe. Um, but yeah, didn't have a case for all of this. And this was like intense field work. Got through fine. Bloody lightning, hail, 40... Not 40, 80 kilometer hour winds, getting flooded in, 
uh, and it survived, but it couldn't fu- uh, survive as smack on the uh, the tiles. I was going to say smack on the toilets, but that sounds like we're talking about something else. Anyway, uh, luckily enough, it was the back, um, and it didn't fuck the cameras, because if, do- if the cameras go, I'm pretty sure on iPhone you can't just replace the cameras. I think you'd need a new phone, and that's not good for uh, TikTok. And then after that, so we're driving into Deakin because I've got my own little uh, office space because I'm a, I'm a big of a, I'm a heavyweight around Deakin. One of Deakin's great minds, they're calling me. <laughs> um, and so I thought we'd bring in one of my avocado plants because I've got like six growing here and we're living in a bunker which doesn't get much light. And so one in particular was just going straight up, which is great because it was straight, but it wasn't um, developing leaves. But some of them, like this one, uh, for those of you listening uh, on audio only, picture like a two meter, a two meter tall uh, avocado plant. Um, and so we took it in, and I just had it in a juice bottle because to re-sprout avocado seeds. Quick little breakdown: these are the things you learn on the fairly lame podcast. You wrap, you you scrape off that outer like brown layer of the seed. And then you wrap it in damp paper towels, keep it under the sink for like a month, start to grow roots. And then once it starts to grow, you want to put it on top of a water bottle or something or a jar. So just the roots are in the water, not the whole seed, because then it won't work. So you just, you want it to be able to sit on top of the rim, the seeds, uh, the roots grow down into the water bottle. Anyway, so I was driving and this water, this juice bottle was too big for my cup holders. Uh, and me, again, being one of Deacon's great minds, thought surely a bottle full of water without a lid on it will be sweet to sit on my passenger seat. But no, it was not. Uh, was driving down, had to slam on the brakes because uh, red light um, was imminent, inbound, and there was a massive pothole at the same time. So slammed on the brakes and then my wheel hit the pothole and we stopped straight away. So I don't know what was going on. And then there was a, a, a loud uh, snap. Don't know what happened. Wheel looks fine. Not a mechanic. Hashtag not a mechanic. Um, and also, disclaimer, I probably will be taking a lot of drinks breaks because my voice is very uh, hurty, for lack of a better term. But anyway, slam on the brakes. Car sounds like it's fucked. And then, uh, of course, open water bottle sends yucky plant water all through my car. Um, and yeah, so we weren't having a great day, but rock up to uni the great uh, Burwood, Burwood out in uh, Victoria, or down in Victoria, and you know when there's just that one person, just that co-worker, I don't know why I use that first example, gloss over that, um, or just that one person that brings a smile to your dial, you see them, uh, world's a better place, and yeah, honestly, it's been a good day since then, crashed out a podcast, and now we're here. I don't know how I got back, or I don't know how I got there to start with, to be honest, but now we are down in St Kilda. Close your eyes. We'll take you on a journey down to St Kilda Pier. So, from for those of you who may not be from Melbourne or be familiar with this, so St Kilda uh, down on the beach, and it has a little penguin colony, which are the believe it or not the littlest penguin species. So, St Kilda's penguins have been taking a break from visitors, but volunteers are still working to protect them. Volunteers and environmentalists are hoping to learn more about St Kilda's iconic little penguin population through an expanded research and monitoring program. Also, before we get into this, before we get into this, 
Last episode, we talked about the great uh, Middle Island Guardian Dog Project. If you've ever seen the movie Oddball, one of Australia's all-time, just marvels of cinema, um, it was based on that. Anyway, they called them fairy penguins, and then the author of the article said, uh, but apparently that's not politically correct to call them fairy penguins. I don't know if he's trying to have a... I don't know if that was a joke or what's going on there. But anyway, so apparently Little Penguins is a go. Anyway, uh, about 1,400 Little Penguins live at St. Kilda Beach in Melbourne, with most of them nesting in the breakwater off St. Kilda Pier. Access to the colony's habitat has been restricted since the pandemic and more recently due to renovations at the pier. Uh, Flossie Spurring is the research coordinator at Earth Care St Kilda, a volunteer-run group that has been monitoring the penguin population for more than three decades. She said the little penguins, which are the smallest penguin species in the world, there you go, heard it here first, uh, have, be- have had a long break from visitors since the pandemic began in 2020. Uh, The crowds that were coming out uh, onto the colony were pretty intense, and so I think it was a welcome relief for the penguins. Their annual research program has been paused while access to the area is closed. She said it has given them time to rethink its ongoing monitoring of the project, or monitoring project rather, and they have recently been awarded a $42,000 grant from the Victorian government to redesign it. The thing about this colony is they're actually incredibly hard to monitor. In previous years, volunteers would come out and catch penguins, microchipping them uh, and weighing uh, the chicks. And believe it or not, penguins stink. I was talking to one of the PhD students and they had to capture them. And apparently they reek. I mean, maybe that makes sense because they you know, just eat fish all the time and uh, live in the ocean. But I don't know. They always look clean. Um, and there's a nice picture here of a penguin uh, molting, which is another thing. I didn't realise they did, and apparently for two weeks or so they can't go in the water because they aren't uh, waterproof. Um, And so they're cute to hold, but they don't really like it, going back to capturing them. Um, That's actually one of the reasons why we want to change up the monitoring program to see if there's a way we can do it that doesn't actually involve getting hands-on with the penguins. If we get a good monitoring program, we can accurately detect any cl- any declines, and then we can lead to dip, and and then that we can lead, okay, to different action. Let's 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 rewind. Is this just me? If we can, <laughs> that, okay, that was me. If we can get a good monitoring program, we can accurately detect any declines, and then that we can lead to different action to figure out what might be going on. That That's not just me. That's... Anyway. Anyway. Um, you don't come here to learn how to write because I can barely read. Plant guards <laughs> to uh, help to protect in, uh, penguin nests. I say that as I completely make up that title. <laughs> Neil Blake is a Port Phillip Bay Keeper with Port... Philip uh, Eco Center. He has been involved with planting around the penguin colony since the 1980s, but has recently come up with a new invention, a penguin-proof planting guard. He said the penguins use the plants for nesting material. Uh, rounded noon flower grows very successfully out there, as long as the penguins don't get to it too quickly, for its roots can establish. The boxes, funded by a $7,000 government grant, are specifically designed so the birds cannot get caught in them and their beaks don't reach the plants before they have proper roots unless we allow the plants to establish properly 
We're always going to be constantly planting and the penguins are going to be pulling it up. They'll start trailing plant guards when access to the breakwater reopens. But on top of this, the great uh, viewing area is getting an upgrade. And me personally, I've never actually been down to St. Kilda to watch the penguins. I don't know why. Um, I was honestly surprised that they were there, to be honest. I was just down there one morning going for a swim. Not the same day that we saw a body, actually. Um, we talked about that in a previous podcast. That was a, that was a day in itself. Um, and yeah, I just saw a, a sign saying, be careful nesting little penguins. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, so the state government said the St. Kilda Pier works were due to finish in uh, 2024. We're going to ensure that people will continue uh, to be able to come and view the little penguins, but do it safely for themselves, but also for the little penguins. We were really pleased to be involved in the design of the new breakwater and new boardwalk, said the environmental uh, group uh, spokesperson. Uh, soon the penguins will not be sharing any paths with people, and that's going to be a huge relief for the penguins. And so here you can see they've got a pretty good picture of this boardwalk, and I, I, I assume the nests are up in these rocks, and people are sitting on this boardwalk that looks like it's only maybe half a metre above the ground and they're hanging their legs over and penguins are going to be running up under them and it, it does sound like you, you would imagine it would be pretty stressful for the little fellas uh, especially during breeding season you've got chicks around you know parents are uh, doing their thing so you know great news what a story to start with i don't know it seems like there's always a feel-good penguin story out there and they can keep coming absolutely Love these little guys. And so now we are getting two electric planes uh, are coming. Short hop regional flights could be running on batteries in a few years. And so this is on the conversation, which you might not have heard about it before. It's kind of, I believe it's run by academics from different unis all across uh, Australia, maybe the world, but I think just Australia. Um, and they write different articles based on their expertise. Uh, and we'll get into it in just a second, having another uh, water break. So, let's see. Uh, so, electric planes might seem futuristic, but they aren't that far off, at least for short hops. Uh, the two-seater Velus Electros are already quietly buzzing around Europe. Electric seaplanes are being tested in British Columbia, and larger planes are coming. Air Canada announced on September 15 that it would buy 30 electric hybrid regional aircraft from Sweden's Hart uh, Aerospace, which experts or which expects, rather, to have its 30-seat plane in service by 2028. Analysts at the U.S. National Renewable Energy Lab note that the first hybrid electric 50-70 to 70 commuter plane uh, would be ready not long after that. In the 2030s, they say, electric aviation could really take off. Uh, what a pun. One of the great puns of all time. Uh, the matters for managing... That matters, rather, for managing climate change. About 3% of global emissions come from aviation today, and with more passengers and flights expected as the population expands, aviation could be producing three to five times more carbon emissions by 2050 than it did before the COVID pandemic. And I saw something today. I don't know what I was reading. It might actually be in this article. I think it is. Uh, so we'll keep going. No, it wasn't actually. Oh, no. No. I think it was touching on the fact that, um, so, oh, actually it is, it's in our, uh, activist, uh, what do you call it? 
uh, activists putting up posters, that story, which we will be talking about next. Activists subvert um, posters sites to shame aviation and ad industries. That will be coming up next on the Fairly Lame podcast. But uh, why is aviation so difficult to electrify? Aircraft are some of the most complex vehicles out there, but the biggest problem for electrifying them is battery weight. If you tried to fully electrify a Boeing 737 with today's batteries, you would have to take out all the passengers and cargo and fill that space with batteries just to fly for under an hour. Jet fuel can hold about 50 times more energy compared to batteries per unit uh, of mass. So you can have one pound of jet fuel or 50 pounds of batteries. To close that gap, we need to uh, either make lithium-ion batteries lighter or develop new batteries that hold more energy. New batteries are being developed, but they aren't yet ready for aircraft. An electric alternative is hybrids. Even though we might not be able to fully electrify a 737, we can get some fuel burn benefits from batteries in the large jets by using hybrid propulsion systems. We're trying to make that happen in the short term with a 2030 to 2035 target for smaller regional planes. The less fuel burned during a flight, the fewer greenhouse gas emissions. How does hybrid aviation work to cut emissions? So, hybrid electric aircraft are similar to hybrid electric cars in that they use a combination of batteries and aviation fuels. Uh, the problem is that no other industry has the weight limitations that we do in the aerospace industry. That's why we have to be very smart about how and how much we are hybridizing the propulsion system. Using batteries as a power assist during takeoff and climb are very promising options. Taxiing to the runway using just electric power could also save a significant amount of fuel and reduce the local emissions at airports. There is a sweet spot between the added weight of the battery and how much electricity you uh, can use to get net fuel benefits. This optimization problem is this at the center of my research. Hybrids would still burn fuel during the flight, but it would be considerably less than just relying entirely on jet fuel. Uh, so for 2030 to 2035, we're focused on hybrid turboprops, typically regional aircraft with 50 to 80 passengers, uh, and hybrids could cut fuel use by 10%, which doesn't sound that uh, exciting. But hey, it's 10%, uh, you know, 10% better than yesterday, be 10% better uh, the day after that. That's not a saying, but mine should be, it should be. Um, what do you expect to see in the near future for sustain uh, from sustainable aviation? Short term, we'll see more use of sustainable aviation fuels. With today's engines, you can dump sustainable aviation fuel into the same tank and burn it. Uh, fuels made from corn seed, oil, corn rather, oil seeds, algae, and other fats are already being used. Sustainable aviation fuels, or just biofuels is probably a simpler, uh, more common name for it, uh, can reduce an aircraft's net carbon dioxide emissions by around 80%. But supply is limited and using more biomass for fuel could compete with food production and lead to deforestation. The second option is using a sustainable, or no, a synthetic and sustainable aviation fuel, which involves capturing carbon from the air. Uh, that wasn't a pause for dramatic effect, sorry. Um, or other industrial processes and synthesizing it with hydrogen. But that's a complex and costly process that does not have a high production scale yet. 
So, do we talk about hydrogen? Yeah, we do. So, hydrogen fuel has been around for a very long time. And when it's green hydrogen produced with water and electrolysis, uh, powered by renewable energy, it just means generating energy powered by renewable energy. It doesn't produce carbon dioxide. It can also hold more energy per unit of mass than batteries. Don't say how it compares to jet fuel, though. There are two ways to use hydrogen in an airplane, either in place of regular jet fuel in an engine or combined with oxygen to power hydrogen fuel cells, which then generate electricity to power the aircraft. So what's the, I mean, what's the difference between those two options? Because surely jet fuel is combined with oxygen too. Um, or is it just that it's not burnt? I mean, but it is burnt to generate electricity. Surely it has to be. Or is burnt maybe not the right word? Anyway, this is a Fairland podcast. We're not trying to get into uh, electrolysis through uh, green hydrogen. But, you know, there you go. We'll, we'll leave that story there. We'll wrap it up before it get too uh, Xy and Ozy. But there you go. Electric, um, you know, I wouldn't say carbon neutral. Uh, we'll say reduced emissions flights could be here sooner than we thought. And so this is the ad, uh, what do you call it? Ad uh, campaign, we'll say, uh, that uh, activists are carrying out over in the EU. Also, shout out to The Guardian, who so many websites now, especially news sites, are starting their own like subscriptions and whatnot, like a, like the Daily Telegraph. I think it's like a dollar a day or a dollar a week or something. But The Guardian, they say, look, mate, you've read a lot of articles. You can sign up. It makes it look like it's paywall, but you just say, I'll do it later, and then it's all good. Hashtag grateful. Anyway, so as Kate, 23, don't know why that matters, uh, walked out of Seven Sisters Station in Tottingham, North London, she noticed an airline advertisement attracting unusual attention. I was on my way back home. I was coming out of the station, and I saw two people taking pictures of the billboard, she said. I thought at first it was just a normal airline ad, so I walked past. Then I did a bit of a double take. Um, and so art activists have filled more than 500 advertising sites across Europe with uh, satirical artworks highlighting how flying is fueling the uh, climate crisis and the role of the advertising industry to uh, in helping cover it up. In recent days, the sites uh, at... Uh, in London, sorry, Bristol, Manchester, Sheffield, and Brighton, and 11 other European cities, activists have pasted over the usual paid-for adverts uh, with artworks highlighting the climate-trashing effects of the aviation industry. Uh, We're starting to get tired now, man. The billboard in Seven Sisters was one, an artwork created by Michelle Tylicky, it showed the view across an outstretched uh, aircraft wing as it soared through the sky, above landscape ablaze with raging wildfires. Fly responsibly, uh, question mark, creating a less sustainable future, its slogan read. In the bottom right corner was a logo of Dutch airline KLM, and then under it it said, currently being sued for greenwashing, it added, uh, the airline is facing legal action over adverts that campaigners say are misleading. I personally don't know what that's talking about. If you do, comment down below. Um, as well as KLM, posters pasted up by activists have targeted airlines, uh, Air France, don't know how to say that one, British Airways, Ryanair, restart as Ruinair. That's good. That's one of the greats. Uh, EasyJet, SAS Airlines, uh, ITA Airways, and Etihad 
um, and the and the industry body IATA. They highlight the large carbon footprint of flying, that the majority of flights are taken by a tiny fraction of the total population, and that airlines have missed it all but one of the industry's self-imposed sustainability targets. That's very interesting. Uh, all but one of the sites were used without permission, blah, blah, blah. Um, the allure and glamour of high carbon lifestyles, such as frequent flying, has been perfect purposefully crafted by the advertising industry and shows no signs of relenting despite one of the hottest summers on record um so you would assume that the people who paid for those ad sites aren't all that happy but you know find the good fight what's this one say low fares to (laughs) low fares to plastic island world trashing prices from 666 jesus christ and they have two uh, hostesses wearing gas masks ruin air hashtag ban fossil ads and so a couple of weeks ago i don't know what podcast uh we were talking about it in but sydney in australia uh the city of sydney council are looking at banning fossil fuel ads on council controlled infrastructure which apparently includes like bus shelters and benches and those sorts of things um hasn't been confirmed yet um and i think they said it would be any company that either was like directly benefiting from fossil fuels like petrol companies even uh apparently hot water pools heated pools um which are powered by electricity um or even fossil fuel powered cars would not be allowed just an idea i don't think it's gone through yet but Seems like it'll be the way of the future. They, they've started to compare it to the movement to ban uh, tobacco ca- uh, ads. I'm not sure how long ago that was, but I think, I'm pretty sure, if you go back and listen to the podcast, they were talking about um, the deaths, actually. The yearly deaths from air pollution is actually more than tobacco. So, there you go. That, mate, that, uh, that knocked my socks off. Now, we are at uh, Monga Bay, news and inspiration from nature's front line. Uh, U.S. charts charts calls for adopting ropeless fishing to reduce whale deaths. Uh, The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has published a report laying out a strategy to allow the use of ropeless or on-demand fishing gear. The gear uses acoustic signals to locate and retrieve gear, reducing the amount of time that vertical lines are present in the water column. So, a spate of North Atlantic uh, right whale deaths that began in 2017 shook the scientists who study the critically endangered species. That year, 17 whales died, and the losses prompted the U.S.'s national um, body that we mentioned earlier to declare and unusual mortality event for them which remains ongoing in the years since at least 54 have perished or sustained injuries so severe that they weren't expected to live i i don't know if that's all relating to uh entanglements okay the uh, well don't mate if you just keep reading you'll figure it out the culprits in most of these deaths when possible to discern have been ship strikes and entanglements in uh, in fishing gear in roughly equal measure Together, these hazards have helped to spark a decade-long decline in the population of North Atlantic right whales from a post-whaling peak of nearly 500 in 2011 to just 336. Bedtime, mate. It's bloody... 
3.08 in the afternoon. Guidelines already require large boats to slow down through right whale hangouts uh, to minimise collisions, and the US government is moving to broaden those restrictions. And government regulators, fishers, scientists, and engineers in the US and Canada are also trying to address the entanglement part of the equation. Especially since the whale deaths of 2017, key groups have increasingly thrown their support behind novel ropeless, more recently called on-demand fishing gear, that reduces the need for vertical ropes that attach lobster or fish traps on the ocean floor to buoys on the surface. Um, so, scientists and fishers alike say so the use of on-demand gear could give the North Atlantic right whale the reprieve from entanglement it needs to survive. The gear would also allow US trap and pot fishers, primarily for lobster, to return to whale right whale hotspots that they've been excluded from. That doesn't sound like a good idea. Um, surely stay out of excluded area. I mean, what, like, it, even if entanglements are the key part, they said that boat, uh, boat strike is, so surely, like, just, just fucking give them a rest. If there's 336 of them. Jesus Christ. Um, the roadmap outlines a targeted approach to expanding the use of on-demand gear, specifically aimed at allowing ropeless fishing, um, blah, blah, blah. So the end result might involve highly adaptive and real-time recommendations from scientists indicating places where only on-demand fishing should be allowed because the use of traditional gear with persistent uh, vertical lines would be too dangerous for the whales. Um, let's see. I thought they had a nice uh, breakdown. Um Dragging around hundreds of rope, uh, blah, blah, blah. So once they get entangled, because it did throw me a bit hearing about um, entanglements from vertical lines. Like whenever I heard about that, I kind of pictured nets rather than, you know, one single rope uh, going straight up into the ocean. But I guess if it does get caught around uh, the big fella's flipper, then it's dragging it with it, dragging a heavy... Uh, fish trap down the bottom if the fish trap stays connected to it and a buoy on the top so this is what the device looks like and i mean if this is a fish trap there's not much room for fish but um in four years since the ropeless consortium formed uh what's now called on-demand fishing gear has evolved to the point where some say it can reliably catch seafood at a much lower risk to right whales um, most of the systems involve a deck-mounted transponder that sends an acoustic signal to the traps beneath. Depending on the system, the signal might then release a line a fisher can grab and use it to haul their catch when it resurfaces or when it reaches the surface. Supporters say the design minimises the risk to right whales so much that they could allow fishers um, to go back to these closed areas. That can't be a good idea. Um... Uh, even a fraction of blah, blah, blah in high-risk areas could reduce the chances of right whale entanglement by as much as 90%. Which this sounded strange to me too. Surely if it's ropeless, how can it only reduce it by 90%? Surely it'd be a 100% deduction. But apparently once the rope is, I guess, deployed to bring it back to the sea, there is potential for a whale to swim past at that moment and um, collect the the rope around around his flipper. So, yeah, very interesting. I mean, it, it looks strange. I wonder how the technology works. I was trying to tease it out for a video on TikTok, uh, at fairly lame underscore, bit of a plug. Um, 
But yeah, it wasn't all that clear. Anyway, now we're back on to Australia with Tiwi Island's traditional owners win court challenge against gas company Santos's massive Barossa offshore project. So the Tiwi Island uh, traditional owners have won a federal court challenge against this $4.7 billion project in the Timor Sea north of Darwin. Environmental lawyers representing the uh, the clan elder argued that the group was not probably properly consulted before approval for the project was granted by the federal regulator in February. After a five-day hearing, including a special on-country session where traditional songs and dances were performed as evidence in the case, federal court justice Mordecai Bromberg ruled that the project's approval was invalid. The ruling means that the gas giant has to maintain a pause on work on the project that began after the court challenge was filed. Um, lawyers say Santos had not cons- uh, consulted with the Manupi clan uh, and gave the Tiwi Land Council insufficient information about the project. Elders, including Mr. Tipakalipa, I'm sorry, I don't know how, um, the C- uh, and sea rangers from the Tiwi Islands told the court of their concerns about the project's possible impacts on cultural and spiritual values, as well as food sources and marine environments. The court ruled the regulator failed to assess whether the company's approval application showed it had consulted with all relevant uh, parties as required by law. It says this is a huge victoria, uh, victoria, don't know what that word is, a huge victory, uh, Environmental Defenders Office Special Counsel Alina Lincoln. What a title. What? A, how many? One, two, three, four, five. Five uh, titles. Good on you. Said the ruling was a huge victory for the Manupi clan and a testament to their strength and dedication in the face of one of the biggest mining companies in the countries. Hopefully, this sets some precedent moving forward. If there's any issues with, uh, which we've already seen in uh, a lot of places in Australia, I think WA or South Australia most recently, there was some mines uh, in place where there was all this ancient rock art, um, which was um, pretty disgracefully blown up for fossil fuels. But hopefully this is becoming less and less often, both for this, both hopefully this sets a uh, bit of a precedent, but also as we move away from fossil fuels. Again, another reminder, all these... uh, Links in the description below. A couple of these stories have different links to um, different things that they reference. So if you want, have a bit of a look for yourself. But before the voice and the reading ability conks out, we are back to the uh, the plains wanderer, one of Australia's most endangered birds, getting these tiny solar backpacks to help save them. So researchers hope to learn uh, about movement of small birds using solar-powered devices tracked by satellite. Again, The Guardian, this is not a paywall. It's still free to read. Grateful. I'll do it later. Uh, A joint plan to save an endangered bird species from extinction is benefiting from an experimental tool, tiny solar-powered backpacks. Plain wanderers are small, uh, fawn-coloured, ground-dwelling birds with speckled throats that live in semi-arid grasslands of northwestern Victoria and the New South Wales Riverina. The birds were once found across eastern Australia, but their numbers have declined uh, dramatically in the past 10 years. Much of their known habitat is found on private land. Their habitat needs are very particular. During droughts, insect numbers drop off, nesting material and food are scarce, meaning the population can't sustain itself. 
But if there's too much rain, however, uh, it can lead to an overgrowth of weeds and the birds leave. Researchers don't know where they go. And this is where the uh, backpacks come in. So recent uh, estimates suggest there are around 500 and 1,000 plains wanderers left in the wild and they were declared critically endangered in 2015. Now 15 birds have been released into the Ulambian National Park in the New South Wales uh, Riverina region. It was protected in perpetuity uh, in 2002 due to its high conservation value as critical habitat for the plains wanderer. The release is a part of a 10-year, $175 million program involving New South Wales, Victorian and South Australian governments in a collaborative effort to ensure the species survival. $170 million, $175 million for a plains wanderer. I don't even think koalas get that much. Honestly, I don't think koalas get that much. Um, it is the second release in New South Wales. The first saw 10 birds released near Hay in March, uh, 16 released in Victoria in 2021. Researchers have long struggled to understand the movements of the birds in the wild, which is where the solar packs come in. They have a two-year lifespan and will be tracked by satellite. Previously, tracking was limited to a 12-week battery life and the birds could only be followed with a transmitter in the field. Um, the Environment Minister in New South Wales said the tracking their movements following uh, release was the culmination of work aimed at bringing the species back from the break. They're a critical part of the ecosystem because their presence or absence as an indicator of the health of their native habitat. These backpack wearing plains wanderers are paving the way for us to gather important data which will ultimately help us improve our conservation efforts for wild populations into the future. And then they have this picture here. Again, let's get my picture painting skills out. It kind of looks like a tiny emu. No, not an emu. Uh, like, it, just like a quail. If you know what a quail looks like, just picture a, 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 a what? A fawn-coloured quail in your head with a little solar panel attached to its back and a big uh, antenna hanging off it. Um, and I have... I wonder how this is attached because it says it's a backpack, but I, I reckon it's super glued. From my experience, it sounds like a lot of bird tracking is done by super gluing stuff to their feathers. Because if you know the timing of when they molt, you can ensure that something's going to stay on them for a certain amount of time. So with powerful owls, which are these massive owl species which eat like uh, possums and whatnot down in Victoria, don't know if they're everywhere, um, you attach trackers to their tail feathers, some radio transponders. And then one of the PhD students, Deacon, uh, they're also doing something for gannets and they're running into some issues because they don't know when the birds molt. Uh, and so you could attach these $2,000 trackers to these birds for them to just molt their feathers literally the next day. But anyway, this has been episode nine of the Fairly Land podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed. Again, please comment down below your favorite feel-good story from today and follow over on TikTok and Instagram at fairlylame underscore. Keep up to date with every week's top environmental conservation news stories, Mondays at 3 p.m. Uh, I don't think I have any announcements. I just got attacked by a coffin fit. Uh, we'll end it there. Hope you guys have a wonderful weekend and we'll see you guys next week.